today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. All of us have such an innate, different way of approaching healing for a person. And part of what I feel so passionate about with the doctors that I work with is that we help draw that out of them. What have you seen in your career like works for certain patient populations? How do you feel comfortable treating? What kinds of conditions do you like treating and how do you like treating them? And I really, truly believe that this issue of burnout in our healers and our community is such a high rate. And if we don't, just as with the healing of self, we're like, okay, what feels good to you? What feels right to you? What feels in alignment to you? Doing that from a healer level. So then that that patient and that healer find each other and are aligned. That's beauty. Like that is a truly healing relationship. It'll take one physician at a time, one community at a time. Well, hello there. I'm your host for today, Dr. Kate Henry. And in this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Linda Mattioli, a physician at Origins Functional Medicine and co-founder of the Origins Incubator. Dr. Mattioli has a background in family medicine, a master's degree in nutrition, and a bachelor's degree in food science. She embraces a truly holistic approach to healthcare and helps people find and heal the root cause of burnout. She does this with a very heart-centered, evidence-based approach that I completely love. In today's episode, we dive deep into the root causes of fatigue, burnout, depression, and more. Dr. Mattioli gives us so many reasons to feel hopeful and tells us about her approach to helping people reclaim a life that's full of play, joy, and happiness after burnout to where now they're thriving. This is possible for you too. I can't wait to get into it. Before we get started, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. If you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you're placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 30 different labs in one single place for free. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. If you're a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create your free account today. While you're there, you can also try out our latest tools like the meal plan generator and lab shops, which make practicing functional medicine easier than ever. So cool. Now let's start the show. Dr. Mattioli, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. Me too. This is such an important topic. Now you run a revolutionary practice where you help people heal from burnout using what I think is such an incredibly heart-centered, evidence-based approach. And it all starts with one very important question. Can you tell us what that question is and why you ask it? Yes. Whenever I first start with a patient and I'm evaluating where they are and where they want to go, the first thing I ask them is, when did you start to not feel like yourself? When did you start to not recognize the things that you used to really enjoy or draw comfort from. So when did you not feel like, would you stop feeling like you essentially? And what happens when you ask that? So it's interesting because there's always a bit of a pause. There's always like a, huh, because you have to think back. And some people know right away, like the last time I felt like myself was, they'll give a particular time period when they was when they were 25, or there was a certain trigger or very important event in their life that just put them on a different trajectory and they know exactly what it is. Other people, there's a bit of a floundering, like it was just a slow process of growing up and adopting 
other things in our environment that made us not ourselves. And for those types of people, I always bring them back to childhood. I'm like, what did you enjoy doing as a child? Did you enjoy reading? Did you enjoy nature? Did you enjoy sports? What are the things that you used to just naturally gravitate to before you had these external influences of all the shoulds of life? I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And we start there because what that does is it starts to calm the nervous system. And I think that one of the first important things to do when you're seeing a patient is you have to establish the rapport and the space of just trust and healing. In my practice, and I saw patients for 45 to 60 minutes per appointment, you just need time for these patients to take a deep breath, start to relax, because they're used to having to rattle things off really quickly in a 10-minute appointment. So by asking that question, when was the last time you felt like you, and I'll sometimes say their name, like when was the last time you felt like Katie or whatever, then that opens up this discussion that they can be Katie, like they can be themselves and they can really, but then that's the starting point. Wow. I love that. And that is for a reason. How did you stumble upon the power of that question for helping people come home to themselves and start to heal from burnout? So my story is that when I started medical school, I was 27. So it was a career that I started a little bit later in life. And I remember it all started about in residency. You present your patients to an attending to make sure that you had the correct plan and things like that. And there was always this push to see, to get your time to see 20 patients during the day. And so I remember saying to my attending, if I just had more time with this patient, I think I could really help them. And they would just say, that's just not the way it works. And I was like, okay. So that was the first time I don't think I was conscious to it at the time, but that was the first moment that I was starting to become out of alignment with what comes naturally to me and what I was doing. You know what I mean? There's everybody has different things that come naturally to them. And one of the greatest, I think, journeys of life is realizing what comes naturally to you and then doing it. It sounds so simple, but it's so hard. It's really hard. It's so hard. Tell us more. What was the rest of your journey? After that, so then residency, and then I had, then I graduated and I started working for a traditional primary care practice. And at that point, I had a six-month-old at home and I was just exhausted. Like I would, during my lunch breaks, I would go out to my car and sleep. And I really only had like 15 minutes. (laughs) I was staying up super late, like finishing my notes. I was so tired. I would just lay on the couch and not have the energy to just go for a walk with my six-month-old. It was just heartbreaking. And I remember one day I was just getting ready for work and I looked in the mirror and I was like, what was all that for? Like, why you sacrifice so much going to med school and the training and just the financial and time obligation, so much of your life that you give up into with this quest of helping people. People go into medicine because they're, they have this aptitude for math and science, but they also have this humanity aspect. It's like the blending of the two. So I went to my primary care doctor because I was like, Linda, you are, there is something going on. And she ran some basic labs and she was like, Linda, she's like, you're just adjusting to your life as a new physician and you have a child at home. So you have some depression. Why don't you take this antidepressant and then we'll go from there. I'll see you in three to six months. And I sat at the table and I had this aha moment where I was like, oh my gosh, is that how I am to patients? Because I'm a primary care doctor and that's how I saw my primary care doctor. 
And I was like, frankly, that's probably what I would have prescribed too after the initial lab work. Like that would be the indications. And there's no, was I, did I have depressed mood? Yes. But did I have depression that required medication at that point? Probably not. So I felt so incredibly disempowered. And I just had this moment where I was like, how do I become the type of physician that I would want to see? I realized at that moment, I couldn't keep doing what I was doing, but I didn't know what other options I had. So I was actually talking to my sister about it, and she recommended seeing a naturopath or somebody that was more integrative. So I went to see the naturopath, and she spent an hour with me. And just having somebody talk to me for an hour, and I just was like diary of the mouth. I just told her everything that was going on, and she was like, okay. And we ran some basic labs, and I said to her, I was like, how do I do what you do. Like she hadn't even done anything yet and it was incredibly healing. So that started my journey into integrative functional medicine. And you write a lot about the power of listening and you talk a lot about the power of listening. You're now someone who mentors physicians yeah, who want to change their practice. And we are going to get deep into that because I've listened to you before. One of the things that really struck me was when you talk about that period of time before you saw a functional medicine doc, you said, I feel like if I was just supported and rebalanced, I would be okay. Yeah, exactly. I felt that if somebody were to take the time and look at just my life and what was occurring in it and just help me, give me the tools to manage some of those lifestyle as as well as nutrition, as well as some supplemental support. I felt if I had that support, like when something's supported, it relaxes. Like you give somebody a hug, they relax. You lift up a baby, they relax. When something is supported, they relax. And so, and you know, when it's you, you can't see what's going on. You see, right? You're like, what? I don't know. And so that became a cornerstone of my practice is like this base of support. Because I know that for me, for that naturopath to hold space for me and support me the way that she did, it was like the first time I exhaled in years, it felt like. So when you talk about she supported you and the support that you provide your clients who are looking to heal, what are the components of that support? So that's a good question. So the first step is to validate and give hope. So that's where I always start is like you're in good hands. And this is I've just being able to portray that you have a plan moving forward for them. So what I normally do is I look at I break it up into analyzing the person's internal and external environments. So that's how I start to describe it. I'm like, as a human being, you are the way you are because of your internal environment, which includes your systems and your biology, but also your thoughts. And then also your external environment. So what stressors are coming at you? What are you eating? What environmental toxins are you exposed to? So all of these things make up your human experience on this earth, and it's unlike any others. So everything from your childhood on is what we're evaluating. So I start by doing a comprehensive history from birth. I get some comprehensive blood work done. And then I start really getting an intake on external stressors, external toxins, and also really what their thoughts are like. So if there's somebody that is it has been trained to think negatively about certain situations or positively or what have you. Just making them aware at that point of the conversation, it's not, I'm not trying to fix anything. I'm just creating awareness of how it could be impacting their symptoms. Because the only way for a body to communicate with us is through symptoms. There's no other way it can. And so 
that symptom could be coming from something internal, which is what we typically, we've been trained to do in Western medicine. It's like, what is wrong with me? Find the lab, find the deficiency, whatever. Internally, and what I'm trying to help patients realize is that what is going on externally impacts you internally, and it's all sifted through your thoughts. Let's just start to be aware of that and then go from there. And it reminds me, I think there's a really important point in medicine and in greater sort of sociology studies as a whole. We know that burnout is not a deficiency of resiliency, right? It's not about like you not being strong enough or you not being resilient enough. And I love this quote. It's from the vice president of professional satisfaction at the American Medical Association, Dr. Sinsky. She says, while burnout manifests in individuals, it originates in systems, Burnout is not the result of a deficiency in resilience among physicians. Rather, it is due to the systems in which physicians work. And I think both of us find that this is true for more than just physicians. Most of our clients are in some sort of system where the level of stress on them is so great that they're having symptoms because their system just cannot bear it, their internal system, their body. And so for someone who's thinking, oh my gosh, I resonate with what Dr. Mattioli is saying. I, I can't remember the last time I felt like myself. And yeah, my external environment is really full of stressors and it's impacting me. But how in the world would I begin to start to even figure out how to change that? What are some first steps that you talk with people about? So I think that a lot of times from a patient perspective, when burnout occurs, it's a result of not being in alignment or incongruent with your purpose, with your calling, with just who you are, what you enjoy. And so what I normally start with, and this is a kind of a simple exercise, is I have the patient think about their senses. So I don't even start with detox your environment and start this elimination diet. We go there. But at first, I'm like, let's let your nervous system take a breath a little bit. And sometimes I compare it to, I tell them, think about if you were caring for a baby. And this baby was crying all the time and couldn't settle down. What would you do? You would swaddle them. You would wrap them real tight. You would make sure the temperature was good. You might play some calming music. You might rock them. You might feed them a bottle. So all of those things calm the nervous system. So think of yourself. So what do you like to taste? What teas bring you joy? What food brings you joy? And just Start your day with that. What clothing feels good on you? Do you have a blanket that you like to put over your lap? What or a sweater that feels good to you? And everybody's answer will be different. And that's the reacquainting of yourself. So when you start to do that, because it's really hard for any system to heal, whether it's gut, adrenals, immune, brain health, anything, if the nervous system is just crying out all the time. So if I can get patients to just start doing things that bring them some sort of peace. I start with the five senses. What do you like to smell? So we do smell, taste, touch, listen, and look at. I'll tell them, put a picture on your desk of a landscape or a family member that you love. And the way I describe it is, it's like when people start healing, they oftentimes go all in one area. Like I am going to change my diet 100% or I'm going to start this workout program. Everything is 100%, but the body is really meant to be in a balance, like a symphony of balance. So I equate it to like wrapping a blanket around the person. So it's instead of a whole bunch of pressure from the back in terms of nutrition or the front for physical fitness, do you know what I mean? Like you're just slowly wrapping, like I'd rather them do 40% of each of those things than go all in one area. That's beautiful. And a very nurturing and intuitive approach, because I agree with you. It's like, 
Somebody comes in, they're an A player, they're already maxed out. They're already pushing 110%. And then they come in the office and they go, now I'm ready to push 110% against my wellness goals. And you're like, from where? From what reserve of energy? How do we just start to reclaim some joy? One of my favorite quotes from Brene Brown is she says, the opposite of play is not work. The opposite of play is depression. And so much of what we're finding now in the burnout research is that reclaiming joy, reclaiming play, reclaiming rest are the medicines that people need to truly heal. It's not a longer list of to-dos. And it's not even necessarily more skills. We have people who are highly intelligent, highly resilient. A recent survey found that 89% of workers in the U.S. have reported that at some point they felt so burnout, they considered leaving their position. And this has nothing to do with like necessarily how hard you're trying to not be burnout. And so I love that you start with that. And when we first talked, one of the things you said that I wrote down was like, what just feels good on your skin? Can you just start by putting on a lotion that you love every day? Put a candle that you really enjoy smelling and just come home and just like light that or start some diffusion of essential oils and just building back in those warm hugs for your nervous system. It's so beautiful to me that you are a physician and you're talking about these sorts of things. Yeah, and I think that it's so important for people to realize that we just become aware that in our culture, we so pride ourselves in working harder, working more, pushing ourselves the extra mile. And it's for what? Most of the things that we strive for in this life, like if you ask somebody, like if they were to start therapy or, or start some healing journey, they would say, what do you want to accomplish? I want happiness. I want peace. I want to feel energy. I want to feel connection with my loved ones. And we don't get that from pushing more and more. We get that from becoming those daily small things that doesn't need to be sit on a pillow and do 45 minutes of meditation first thing in the morning, followed by a cold plunge, <laughs> followed by a green smoothie, and then some skin brushing. And then you start your day like that's not it either. It's you wake up in the morning, put your hand on your chest and you say, I am here. Some mantra that just aligns with you. And then you light a candle and you sit down and you take a deep breath and you start your day. Like that takes a minute. And it sounds like it's nothing. Like I know that some people might be thinking this, I'm really sick or I really have significant symptoms. This is not going to help me. I need the full workup and the full 20 supplements and prescriptions and whatever. But I've seen it so much over the years is that if you don't first have a reconnection to self, and I say reconnection, it doesn't need to be any greater than you are having some inner thoughts about you and what you want and what you need. Just doing that will calm down the nervous system. The cells will calm down and you'll be able to absorb your nutrients. Your immune system will improve. Your cortisol levels will improve. And it has to be a small daily choice. Like these Big pushes like this three-month reset, this one-week detox, those don't work as well as just that small daily choice that's mm -hmm. way more productive over time. It makes sense to me that you're talking like this because you have a fundamentally different view of what's typically called like a doctor-patient relationship Yeah, where you talk a lot about self-discovery and peeling back the onion. And why is that so important for you to include? And, and what can other professionals do to begin to do that for their clients as well? 
So what I realize in working with patients in primary care, especially, so this is different from like acute care, but in primary care, a lot of these chronic diseases are lifestyle driven. That's a fact. It's, it's our daily choices that we're making that lead us to have these disease states. And stress is very much a part of that. And so what I found in my practice is that after a few years of practicing, after about eight to nine months, patients would say, I have learned so much about myself. You have helped me learn just about me and what I need and what I don't need. And I started to realize that was the true gift of more time with a patient and consistent appointments and education and precision medicine. So what I realized is that when the arc of the patient over that first 12 months, when the patient makes a decision, like I'm ready to invest time and effort into healing. The first step is always those physical discoveries. Let's look at your labs. Let's do a deeper dive. And the nervous system support is just like a constant thread throughout all of my appointments. But initially, we're doing some investigative work. And then at about the five to six month mark, I always saw that as the person started to physically feel well, they almost started to clean out their mental closet. It started to turn into like, oh, now I feel better. So I have all of these other maybe prior traumas or prior mental health things they hadn't processed yet because we're so used to like, oh, that was a really difficult event I went through, but let me just stuff it down here because I got a million things to do today. And that stuff just doesn't go away. Like the book, The Body Keeps Score, it's like these things are stored in our body. And so once these things started to come up for them is when I would personally add a therapist on my team and we would, she would team up with them and help them unpack that. But that's very much a part of that uncovering, a part of that onion. So it's always physical leading to mental And then the third part of the year is almost like this blossoming, this self-knowing. And I would get these portal messages like, Dr. Mediole, I'm having X, Y, and Z symptom, but I know what to do. I'll see you at the next appointment. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And that's the arc that I typically saw patients move through. And it was beautiful. It was really cool to see. I feel like people are probably feeling so much hope just listening to this, thinking, okay, if other people can do it this way, maybe I can too. What are some of the labs and different sort of investigational tools you would use in that first phase to help figure out what is going on physically that is preventing this person from thriving? Good question. So my first appointment that I always do, it's called a foundational assessment, and I do an expanded blood work panel. So I'm looking for at their kidney function, their liver function, their blood count, their thyroid function, vitamins and minerals. So I'm just getting an overview of like, Is there any acute issues going on? That's my first level. And then my treatment at that phase is replacement of deficiencies. If their D is low, replacement. Their B12 is low, replace it. The iron is low, replace it. Now, the reason those are low is that second piece. But first, I want to get their head above water because when somebody is just feeling bad, they're just getting through their day. Like that sense of, let me just make it through this day, make it through the next day. Just getting that nutrient support really can make a big difference for them. So we start at that level. And then if the patient is complaining of things like constipation, bloating, and like all those gut issues, I'll start there. I typically will start with about two advanced tests at a time. So I'll do stool analysis and organic acid tests or something like that. And because if there's somebody is deficient in those nutrients, I want to look at why are they not So it's an issue with either poor intake or poor absorption or poor quality of their food. So we start to go 
we start there. So typically we'll start with that gut support and then I'll get into like adrenal and hormone support and then detox. So those detox systems are open. This sounds like the check under the hood that everyone probably needs a few times in their lives. You mentioned a couple of nutrients. So vitamin D, B12, iron. Are those the only nutrients you test? And can you tell us why those matter? Yeah, so I test B12, D, iron, magnesium, zinc, copper, along with the full thyroid panel. I also look at homocysteine, CRP, insulin, A1C. I don't know, there's a lot of... Yeah. <laughs> but for all of those, like B12 is so important for energy and cognitive function. A lot of depression is linked to low B12 there. D for immune function. I have some patients that report increased energy with that D support. A lot of people are deficient in iron more so than you would think. And you just need iron to deliver oxygen to yourselves and you need oxygen to create energy. So all of those, and magnesium for just stress resiliency. A lot of times if somebody's magnesium is low, that's a sign of burnout to me because the adrenals really need magnesium. And so the adrenal is a gland that secretes cortisol. So if we're burning through a lot of cortisol, magnesium will be, your minerals just in general will be depleted. So I get people on a good multivitamin, target those replacement and just real simple plan at that point. We want wins initially. We want the patient to be like, I can do this. I got this. And then each appointment we build from there as they get stronger. And guys, we'll write out this list from Dr. Mattioli in the show notes. If you're at home thinking, where would I start? I have a primary care who I trust. I have a therapist who I trust, but nobody's ever looked under the hood for me to see if I have some deficiencies that are affecting me. We'll include this list. And I think it's beautiful that you start there. And this was my experience too. So many people come in the office and they're like, tell me what to take out of my diet. Tell me what to stop eating. And we're looking at their blood work and thinking, you are so nutrient deficient. There's no way you even have enough energy to get through your day. Let's start by giving you that energy. And then you can make all the other lifestyle changes you want to make. You're here trying to willpower through this feeling of complete exhaustion that is not psychological. It's not your fault. It's physiological. You cannot outthink an iron deficiency anemia. You're just going to be tired. <laughs> no matter how positive or amazing of a person you are, that is a part of your biology that you can't overcome just with sheer force of will. Yeah. And it's this idea that I just have to do more. Like we have this, a lot of us have this ingrained thought that if I'm not feeling well, or if I'm not looking or feeling my best, that it must be something I'm either doing in excess or not doing enough of. And that brings us into this like shame cycle. It's like you feel ashamed of the choices you did or didn't make. And the feeling of shame is like the lowest vibration feeling. And it can really result in just this sick, because then you're going to just pile more on that there's no hope that we'll probably get done anyway, because you're already stretched way too thin. I think first, just being cognizant of this thought, if you're not feeling well, or if things aren't going your way, if your first thought is, I must have to do this, or I must have to adjust some action to be able to think more of what do I need? Do I just need to stop and rest and think? What is it that I truly need? Because even when it comes to things like nutrition, I have some people come to me where they've been on an elimination diet or a certain like therapeutic nutrition plan that 
they've been on for about a year and they're like, it's not working for me. It worked for me really well for the first couple of months. Mm -hmm. And I have to kind of explain to them that our body is this living, changing being. And what worked for you then isn't working for you now because you've evolved, you've changed. So let's look inward. And so I start asking more questions, especially as our time together goes on to get them to really start to think about like, it's okay if I used to love this meal and now it makes me bloated or now it doesn't make me feel good. That's okay. Let's not be so attached to these actions. It's the release. We need to learn to release. And the data can help because when people see, oh my gosh, wow, I really am deficient in this or I have an excess of this, it then gives them permission to make the changes and it gives them the information they need, which how else would you get that? You're not going to just accidentally find out <laughs> you have high homocysteine. You have to look. So I love that you do that. And thank you for teaching us a little bit about the tests that you run. For someone who heard you say two minutes ago that minerals and cortisol and the adrenals are related, can you explain why? And I'm happy to jump in here too, because I feel like this is a connection that gets missed for a lot of folks. And so can you talk about like, why do the adrenals matter in burnout? And why do minerals matter for adrenal health? And what does that mean for how people can help themselves heal with those yeah. So what's important to know about the adrenals is that they're two peanut-shaped glands on the top of your kidneys. And their job is to, one of their primary jobs is that they release cortisol. And cortisol is our stress hormone. I think most of us have heard of cortisol. But what's important to realize about cortisol is that it can be released in many different physiological states. Like when you are fasting, or when your blood sugar is low, cortisol is released because it helps the liver secrete more glucose for energy and things like that. So that's one way that it is released. It's also released when the circadian rhythm is disrupted because cortisol and melatonin have an inverse relationship. It's also released when there's inflammation in the body, as well as when you have stressful thoughts, stressful impressions of your environment, and then also just with heavy workouts, things like that. And so what's important to realize about cortisol is that as human beings, we were evolved to get out of stressful events within a few months at most. Like we were meant to like be able to gather all of our strength to deal with an event that would slowly decrease and then life would occur as normal. But nowadays our cortisol is getting hit on a daily basis. And what that eventually does is cortisol is the main modulator of the immune system. We've all said Oh, I was run down. That's why I got sick. So we all know that intuitively. But now it's like I'm run down. So I'm just feel awful all the time. It's that next level of, oh, I got a cold. It's just that you just feel badly. It very much, in fact, impacts bone health as well as where the minerals get in. It elevated cortisol for long periods of time. It also impacts your sex hormones. So especially as men and women get into their 40s and 50s, that vitality, the body is always going to respond to cortisol because your body doesn't know if you just got a really stressful work email or if you're being chased by a lion. It doesn't know the difference. It's all biology. And so to be able to have the tools to calm down your thoughts and respond to that will regulate the cortisol, therefore regulating your sex hormones, which for most people in their middle age, a lot of their issues are from the sex hormone dysregulation. So talking about labs, when I see somebody, a woman with low progesterone, I'm always first thinking of what are your adrenals like? Same with thyroid. Everybody's concerned about their thyroid and their sex hormones. And I explain to patients, it's a pyramid. At the very top is your sex hormones followed by thyroid, 
followed by cortisol, followed by insulin at the very bottom. If I'm trying to regulate, and every layer of that pyramid responds to the layer below it, if this person has thyroid issues or sex hormone issues validated by blood work, I'm talking about insulin and adrenals and how to regulate that, which are your daily choices. It all comes back to the day-to-day things I found. Like eating regularly. Yeah. And there's a lot of evidence that fasting is healthy and good, but there's a time and a place, just like there's a time and a place for anything. So if I have a very stressed person coming in, that's not the time for intermittent fasting. Again, it's not remove all the things and yeah, you need more, your body needs more support. And this is where the testing comes in and the individualization of medicine. When you can look at someone and say, is this the time for fasting or is it the time for nutrient repletion? Is it the time for eating five times a day or is it the time for intermittent fasting? That's where you use the information that you get about their physiology through testing to tell you and them what the logical next steps are. And so guys, if you're at home and you are an information junkie and you're listening to podcasts and now you're feeling overwhelmed with the conflicting messages you've probably gotten over the past few years, starting with your own physiology and your own physician is a really wonderful way to know which evidence-based step is next for you. Because all of these tools in medicine are wonderful tools. It's not about what is better. It's about when you use them. I love that you start there for your clients and giving them a very amazing understanding of the foundation of their health. And then they can figure out, okay, what's our next step right now? Yeah. And I think it's so important to realize that our body is so interconnected. All of our systems are interconnected. So if you choose to start with hormone and adrenal support, your gut will improve. If you choose to start with gut, your adrenals and hormones will improve. We're so used to this very protocol-ish way of doing things and what's right, what's wrong, what order, when do I do what? We live in such a black and white world and health is so gray. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just, we have to get comfy, cozy with the gray and comfortable with the ability to pivot. Sometimes I'll say to patients, I have a hypothesis of what's causing your issues. So say I start with gut and we do a gut rehabilitation program and they only feel like 10% better that's fine. Like I'm comfortable with that because that's an indicator of that I need to go somewhere else. A result that isn't what we had hoped isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's like, okay, thank you body for telling me this. Now we're going to move in this direction. And just being okay with that and not beating ourselves up that, oh, what's wrong with me? This should have worked. It worked for my friend, Sally, who had the exact same symptoms. And it's just, it's okay. It's like you said, it's a journey of self-discovery. Yeah. And it seems like you frame for your patients, we're going to work together for probably a year. Not every day, not every week, not every month. But give yourself that time to understand that we're going to peel back the layers of the onion. And every single time we do that, we get more information. We get closer to the root cause. And you really, as the client, get more and more introduced to your own inner physician and your own knowing during that process, which is the most important thing you can ever do for your health. Because if you in your body are the only person who will travel with you in your body throughout your whole entire lifespan, you guys at home who are listening, you're going to meet 15 amazing doctors at least during your lifetime. And every single one of them, and maybe it's not even a doctor, maybe it will be a nutrition specialist, a physical therapist, a personal trainer, a psychologist. Everybody has a tool to help you on your journey. But at the end of the day, it's your journey. And it is going to be a journey because you have a different body every decade of your life. You're in a different situation every part of your life. Learning how to embrace that journey, how to really tune into your symptoms, allow them to be your guide, 
release the judgment about what's right and instead get very interested in the data about what does my body need is I think we're realizing such a key component of healing burnout and chronic conditions in the U.S. and in the world. And as medical field, we are racing to catch up and to help folks heal those disorders. You have clinicians who you have trained to think this way. Yeah, talk to us about some of the new stuff you're doing to now help change the system so that more people can find doctors like you and heal. Yeah, what I realized after being in practice for some time is the way that I had structured my practice and the journey and the support that I offered patients that was above and beyond medicine the support in terms of education classes and independent contractors like health coaches and therapists that I brought in, it really helped the patient feel like, okay, she has me. Like she, I feel supported here. I feel held here. And so I started to, so other physicians started to ask me, how do you set this up? How do you do this? And so I started kind of putting my processes down on paper and I now train doctors who want to hang their own shingle and have their own micro practice to be not only financially successful for themselves and to be able to provide for their families, but also create a practice that is an extension of who they are. I think that all of us have such an innate, different way of approaching healing for a person. And part of what I feel so passionate about with the doctors that I work with is that we help draw that out of them. What have you seen in your career like works for certain patient populations? How do you feel comfortable treating? What kinds of conditions do you like treating and how do you like treating them? And I really truly believe that this issue of burnout in our healers and our community is such a high rate. And if we don't, just as with the healing of self, we're like, okay, what feels good to you? What feels right to you? What feels in alignment to you? Doing that from a healer level so then that that patient and that healer find each other and are aligned. That's beauty. Like that is a truly healing relationship. It'll take one physician at a time, one community at a time. But I think the more that we train doctors on just the business, the legal, the finance, the mindset, the practice management, as well as the creative piece, like how to draw that out of them, how to get them reacquainted to self as a healer, I think it's going to really, truly changed lives. And I'm so excited. I get so passionate about it. The physicians that I work with are just, they're so passionate about their patients and they just want them to get better. That I think sometimes we miss that with the way that the medical community is set up right now. They're really heart-centered individuals that want the best. They just need support like anybody yeah. else. You mentioned having to see at least 20 clients a day when you were in residency. And how many will you see a day now? Oh my gosh. So now I'm kind of split my time between the practice and the origins incubators, the physician training program that I have. But I saw 12 patients a week was what I wanted to average. So I didn't like to see more than four patients a day. I felt like that was a lot. But when you're really, you get so intimate with these patients, you really are learning a lot about them. And it's just to create the plan and everything. It just takes time. Yeah, yeah four. <laughs> I was so excited when I could support myself with four patients a day. Yeah. I was like, this is insane. Yeah, and I'm sure your clients were happy. And for the people who are listening at home, one of the things with my own journey before I became a doctor was that I was a patient. I was somebody who was super sick for 10 years, found a functional medicine doctor who found my root cause and I was able to heal in record time. And I think when that happened, a part of me felt like so sad 
that nobody had figured out my issue and that I had spent 10 years going to incredible physicians. And what I began to understand once I went through medical training in medical school was that when you're seeing 20 patients a day, you cannot spend more than a few minutes with them. And your average primary care appointment is incredibly important. Everyone, please go for your physical every year, go. But what you're going to get is a few minutes, a really broad overview of your health, basic lab work, maybe some referrals, really important ones. And you should still do that. What you're probably not going to get is an hour where you drop in and do this sort of heart-centered, functional medicine, root cause detective work stuff. It is not reasonable to expect your primary care clinician in a regular setting to do this because they do not have the time, they do not have support, they do not have the training. The system is not set up that way. If you want that type of connection and that type of experience, you should see someone who does functional medicine because that's what you'll get from them. And I think part of what I notice in, in our industry is clients go like, well, I went to my primary and they didn't do any of this. And so you're at the wrong place. You're at the right place for primary care and you should go. But how do you talk to people about finding a clinician who does this sort of work? What do they need to look for? There's a resource actually on my website, originsincubator.com backslash find a provider for physicians that we work with. But I tell patients to go to ifm.org, a4m.org, go to find a provider. Those two institutions train not only MDs and DOs and MPs and PAs, but also NDs and chiropractors and acupuncturists. You can find who you align with. And I think one of the things that we really need to get back to is, like I said, realigning that healing relationship, whatever makes sense to the patient. So that's typically where I say to start. When you are interviewing, the a lot of these providers will offer a discovery call, like an initial call where you can learn about them. So see how they are with you on the phone if they take their time with you and ask them what a typical kind of healing journey looks like for the patients. What do they typically see in their patients and also what conditions or symptoms they really like treating or they have because that'll be what they structure around. It might take a few phone calls. It might take a few visits to see what will work for them. But I also think that it's a lot of these practices are cash-based. And the reason is, again, our, our medical system, we're all trained that healthcare is covered by insurance. Everything should be covered. If it's not covered by insurance, I'm not doing it. And the insurance-based model is a model in which it's like acute care. It's when things need to be addressed somewhat rapidly, when you need a team of doctors being able to get in. And for that like check-in, like that physical, that primary care to check, get, find things before it starts to blossom. But functional medicine, you're investing in the time for that provider to really get to know you, spend that time with you. And it's it'll pay off in no time. Just your quality of life will improve significantly. I would talk to my clients because I worked in a practice where we worked right next door to therapists. So we combined therapy and functional medicine. And I think with functional medicine, because you're making that lifestyle change, expecting that it's going to feel a little more like therapy than primary care. It's in the middle. People get that with therapy. They go once a week, they do the work, and that slowly over time, they will begin to feel better. And functional medicine, I think, is in the middle of that and your yearly primary care visit with check-ins for like your ear infection or something. It's like you do the work, you set the time. It's probably going to be a once a month or once every few weeks visit and with a lot of support in between because you're making the lifestyle change. 
And this is, guys, for those of you at home who may not have heard of functional medicine clinicians, and I want to, I'll put a plug in for the naturopathic doctors who we've talked about them a bunch. And you can find one of those by going to American Association of Naturopathic Physicians and using the provider search tool. But it's different because you need different support for healing a chronic condition versus treating an ear infection, dealing with a minor surgery issue or something like that. So what are the extra things you're doing in your practice beyond what people might get at a primary care appointment? Can you just walk through what are some of those components? Yeah, so I think that one of the primary components of it is really doing a deeper dive into lifestyle and environment. In addition to that, as I said before, like that idea of things of being black and white, we look at lab ranges a little bit differently. We do testing that isn't necessarily looking at taking a stool analysis, for instance. We're not necessarily looking for the a real pathogenic bacteria that we might in the acute setting for if somebody was having chronic diarrhea. That's important to rule out, but then we're also taking it a layer below where it's, okay, how does this person's microbiome and digestive and immunoglobulin support, how is it affecting them as a whole? Is it impacting their brain fog? Is it impacting their joint pain? Is it impacting their mood and their neurotransmitters and all of that? Because we know all that originates in the gut. And I think that was the most enlightening thing that I learned when I did functional medicine training is I was like, wow, my toolkit just got so expanded. Like, whereas before I could only tell people a few things Now I'm really living in that gray. And the beauty is that it's very much a collaborative relationship. So it's not as much protocol driven as like diagnosis pill or diagnosis referral or diagnosis, whatever treatment. It's more of like, okay, these are our findings and this is how it could be impacting you. We could start with lifestyle. We could start with supplements. We could go prescriptive route if we needed to. Let's talk about this all together. So I think those are the main differences that you'll find. It's more of a preventative, let's try to catch things before they blossom into overt disease situation. And guys, you'll find either, when I talk to Dr. Mattioli, I feel like I'm talking to a counselor, therapist, (laughs) spiritual guide, and a physician, like it's all the things. And I think that's why people love you so much is they just relax in your presence and they know that you've got them. They know that you care for them. But what we'll find in functional medicine training programs and naturopathic training programs There's always a component of training the clinician to do something like acceptance commitment-based therapy, motivational interviewing, a type of therapeutic technique that helps the client identify their own values, their own drivers, their own motivators, so that they can really work on the lifestyle change necessary to adopt new habits. That's an entire science within psychology. And most functional medicine doctors are either trained in that and have pursued extra training or partner with people like therapists and health coaches so that they can assist clients with making these changes that really truly do take a very unique type of support beyond just a prescription or a pill. And I think it's that empathy that I think a lot of that physicians just have in general, that we are able to exercise that muscle a bit more when we have more time with the patient. And that's where all of that's being drawn from. The interviewing technique and the empowerment that we can support patients with, it comes from a place of just empathy and support and letting them be exactly as they are, who they are, and letting their journey be their own. Having the physician not own the patient's journey is, I think, a giant distinction in functional medicine versus conventional medicine. In conventional medicine, we kind of 
I don't want to, owning the journey is kind of strong, but we feel very much in charge of the next steps. And functional medicine, it's like we are releasing ourselves. It's the patient's journey. And we are the investigator, the educator, the support, as well as the clinician. That's the kind of relationship it is. Yeah, it's the client. You guys listening at home, you are the hero in your own story. And your clinicians, and your clinicians are the guides or the, the people who show up when you're exhausted on the side of the mountain and they bring you water and they make, they maybe they help carry you a few yards and they show you where you got off the original path and where you might be lost and they help bring you back. But like, you're the person on the journey and you deserve to feel that way. And this is a shift that we're really making in medicine. It was only a few hundred years ago that if you were a doctor, you were the person, you were the only person in your town, probably with one book (laughs) that you got from like your dad, who was also a doctor, and you were probably a a guy about medicine. You probably barely knew how to read. You didn't have access to really a ton of information or medicine. And you were tasked with helping people to the best of your ability. We are so far from that. We have the internet now. There's 35 million papers on PubMed. No one can know it all. The doctor is no longer the ultimate authority on health and medicine. It's impossible. We need all of us. We need a team. We need PhDs. We need researchers. We need nutrition experts. And we need you. And chances are, if you're finding functional medicine, you're already pretty educated and have learned a lot. Yeah. You're starting to be curious. I always tell people, like, be curious, not judgmental. Just be curious. Just start to investigate and look. And a lot of times after my first appointment with patients and we go through this whole history and we're, and I'm trying to help them connect the dots to their own story. And I'm like, listen, it's incredibly empowering to know that you're in charge of your health. And it's also simultaneously incredibly frightening to know that you're so in charge of your health. And it's okay to hold both. And just because something feels scary or that it's, it might be, you get nervous about it, you get the butterflies in your stomach, like that is your intuition talking to you. It doesn't mean we shouldn't move forward with it. I think oftentimes we think that just because something seems scary or hard or different, that it's not right. And that's oftentimes that's exactly where you need to be. That's where the growth happens. That's where the change happens. We lean into it. And if you have a provider that works like this, they have the tools to just be with you, not only with labs, but with mental health support and environmental detox support. And if they don't know all the answers, they'll certainly connect. That's the biggest thing. That's what I always tell my doctors. I'm like, you don't have to know it all. You just have to know where to look, to know who to connect the person to. And stand in your own gifts, your own talents, and do that really well and recognize when the person might need another mentor, another level of support. You mentioned environmental detox a few times, and I don't want to let us end without just asking you to clarify a little bit. Why is that important? What do you mean when you say that? Because there's a lot of people using the word detox and toxins. And I want to hear from your very evidence-based standpoint, why that is such a crucial part of that sort of third phase of healing. Yeah. When I say environmental detox, I mean the human body, what chemicals and substances is it getting exposed to on a daily basis? And in conventional medicine, when we think about toxins and somebody being toxic, a lot of times it's what level of substance will permanently hurt or kill this individual? It's that level. In functional medicine, we talk about toxins and detoxification as in what is the body able to process at a rate that is that will maintain health in the body? And it's frankly different for every person. It not only depends on stress, but it depends on their vitamin and mineral 
content. It depends on their gut health. It depends on their liver health. It depends on all these things. So when I'm educating about detoxification, I describe a bucket and I'm like, we're all born with, some people have a big bucket, some people have a little bucket in terms of the amount of environmental exposures that they can endure. And one of the first things we need to do is turn off the tap. We need to decrease the input of toxins. And so that might mean opting for organic food. It might mean switching out your laundry detergent and changing out your personal care products, just slowly identifying things in our environment that could be adding more unnecessary pressure on our system. And so just starting one room at a time and doing that. And then obviously the drain is the elimination. So urinating, sweat, and bowel, regular bowel movements. So we want to turn off the tap and we want to open up the drain. <laughs> and Love a it. lot of times, and then that kind of helps. So that's what I mean by that is being cognizant of what your body is exposed to. So it sounds a lot more healthy and gentle than maybe a hardcore detox for four days where you're drinking detox tea and yeah. Yeah, I just mean being cognizant. Again, I'm all about the things that your body is exposed to every day. And that's thoughts, that's environment, that's food, that's all the five senses. That makes the biggest difference than any big push will ever do, I think. So for the person at home who's sitting here thinking, man, I so identify with what Dr. Mattioli was saying in the beginning about how she felt when she was burned out and recognizing those symptoms of burnout of just, for those of you at home who don't know the technical definition, it's a physical, emotional, mental exhaustion accompanied by decreased motivation, lowered performance, negative attitudes towards oneself and others. If we could just put that person in front of you and just give you a minute to speak into their heart, what would you tell them to do as a next first step? That is a hard question because I'm used to being so individualized. The next first step would be to first think about the, between their thoughts, their sleep, their food and their movement. If you think of those four things, so thoughts, sleep, food, movement, just me saying those words, if any of those things elicit some sort of intuitive response, like your stomach does a flip or you get the chills or it feels like there's a connection there, then lean into that area first and make a small change. So if you know in your heart that your sleep is messed up, you're going to bed at two, you're waking up at seven, then just start every night decreasing the clock an hour until you get to nine o'clock, ideally, or 10 o'clock. For nutrition, if you're like, I'm all over, the, I've been yo-yo dieting for years, I'm all over the place, then I would say, eat every four hours, period. Have your first meal at seven, next at 11, next at three, next at seven, seven, 11, three, seven. That'll regulate your cortisol. That'll get your body used to expecting some sort of rhythm and just start there. If you feel like you sit most of the day, you don't move, then go for a walk for 30 minutes a day outside without anything, no phone, no music, just move. And your thoughts, if you think that you're living a lot inside your brain and not being present in your environment, if that speaks to you the most, then what I recommend is there's this practice called morning pages and it's a download that you do. I do it at night. Some people do it in the morning, but you just do stream of consciousness writing for three whole pages and it has to be handwritten and it has to be three pages. Download your brain so you can look at it. And again, this is without judgment. So 
a lot of times my journaling starts out as like, I don't want to be doing this. This is so frustrating. Why do I have to spend the time doing this? Whatever. The thought that's in your head, put it on paper. And then what you do is you rip it up and you throw it away and you never read it again or you burn it. It's your ability to just get it out of your head. So those are the four areas that I find if one of those areas is really imbalanced and only you know that, then that you'll get the most gains if you start to correct that right away. That's what I would recommend. Thank you. I am going to start doing morning pages immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I believe you. I like, I want what you've got. And you are the medicine. And that's what I love about you is that when people meet you, you have this beautiful, just glow and smile and spirit. And for me, hearing your own journey gives me hope. And folks at home, I hope it gives you hope too. Dr. Mattioli isn't showing up here saying, I've always had it all together and now I'm here to teach you guys how to do it. It's, yeah, it's different. I had my own journey and I'm here to help you. Yeah, and I think the sooner we all realize that no one really knows what they're doing, no one really has it all together. And that's the beauty of the human experience is that we're all just like, I might know a little something about this, so let's help you over here. And I think that it's a daily choice. I love Dale Carnegie. This book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, is amazing. But he has a book about how to stop worrying and live more. And he talks about, and he wrote it, I mean, it's an old book, but it's so good because he talks about living in daytime compartments. And so I feel like every day, if we just wake up and we're like, these are the choices that I want to make today. This is the kind of day I want to have. And then when you go to bed, it's done. It's like you're shutting a steel door. And then you wake up the next day and you just move on from that. And it's just the ability to just live in that day. It's almost when with AA and Narcotics Anonymous, they say, wake up every morning and just make a choice for that day. And there's some brilliancy in that, no matter what journey you're on. Thank you so much for showing up and being the medicine for us today. Yeah. Tell people at home, where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Where can they find clinicians you've trained? Yes. So right now, my practice is Origins Functional Medicine. So I'm on social media there and you can find like tips and things that I put on there. Because I'm in the space of helping physicians, I'm not accepting new patients at this time. I'm so devoted and committing to helping other doctors launch. So if you want to find somebody that we're training, it's originsincubator.com backslash find a provider. And you'll have a list and it's oriented by state. And each of them have put in there a sentence of who they treat and how they treat them and things like that. So you can find somebody who you might align with there. Thank you, Dr. Mattioli. And we will see you again. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you loved today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? Our whole goal is bringing this education to the people who need it. And positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing and we so appreciate it. We'll catch you next time on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast.